Well, we are well into Lent now. If you gave something up for Lent, you must be missing it. One of the things I gave up for Lent was anger. I really miss it. <laughs> Especially knowing I didn't just give it up for Lent, I just, I gave it up. The Lenten season is not just a time for repentance. It's a time for refocus on who God really is and our relationship with God. And last week I said to you that we, when we refocus on God, we don't have to look narrow, we have to look broader. We have to see more, not less. And this week I wanna talk about where the Christian faith stands in relationship to all the religions of the world. Now, I want you to see how I phrase that because this is very important. Christianity can be made into a religion. It is not meant to be a religion. The Christian faith is meant for us to focus on Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we are not building a system. Please don't make your faith into a system of moral mandates and theological doctrines. That's not the focus of our faith. It's a relationship with a personal God. And so I'm gonna get into that in just a moment because you're gonna be asked that. You know, out of all the religions of the world, why do you think you're the best? You know, that kind of, you'll, get, you'll get asked that. So I'll give you the answer in just a second. Before I do that, can we have a family moment? We were, we were presented with a divine opportunity this week and we just took it. And <clears throat> um, let me tell you what it is because they arrive tomorrow night. There is a family, and by family I mean 10 or 11 children and two parents. This family has been, or at least the ones that, that, that they have grown up in, a refugee camp in Tanzania for 19 years. They are from the um, Democratic Republic of Congo. We have other Congolese people who come to this congregation. And the Lutheran Family Services and Arise uh, Family uh, Services contacted us and said, I don't know that there's a lot of churches that can have the capacity to, to receive this big a family. Would you help us out? And of course our answer was absolutely. And so let me tell you what we're looking for right now. This is a family, can you imagine spending 19 years in a refugee camp and then coming to America? Can you imagine that cultural shock? And so this is a family that we need to we need to nurture, we need to integrate. They've gone through all through their paperwork for a solid year in order to come here uh, the right way. Um, and so they're just, they're, and, and, and here's, here's the big need. We are um, looking for, I mean, we can put them up for a little while in a hotel with connecting rooms and all that kind of stuff, but we're looking for a house big enough for a dozen people. Uh, and so what we, a, rental, a rental house, okay, we're glad to rent it. Uh, but if you know of something like that, I want you to contact Angie at northlandchurch.net. She's kind of coordinating. Or if you want to do something for this family, um, where there's lots of needs here. Uh, many of them don't speak English even. 
And so we're going to have to teach them English. But we want to come around them and support them and, and show them the love of God. Okay? Let's pray for them right now, can we? <clears throat> Lord, they're almost here. And certainly they must be feeling very nervous. They must have both high expectations and high fears. But yet, Lord, we ask you to go before. We ask you to receive them in your love and help us to show them the love of Jesus and help us to integrate them into our community in such a way that our community is made better as they are made better. Help us to see your gift in every one of them. And let us take it a day at a time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So in order to do this, in order to understand that Christianity is Christ, you need to know the biblical claims of who Jesus Christ really is. Because there seems to be confusion on this. There are some people who think, well, Jesus was a good teacher and he was a prophet, and that's what Christians believe. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is what Christians believe. First of all, the Bible says this about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want you to know the sense in which it means that. It doesn't mean a representative of God. It doesn't mean just the offspring of God. It doesn't mean just a God. It means the God. All right? Let's go to John. In the passage that we just read, or, or Pastor Vernon just read to us, this is what it said. In the beginning was the word. Now stop right there. The word in Greek is logos. And if you knew Greek, if you knew Greek philosophy, every Greek um, philosopher knew that the word logos was the organizing principle of the universe. The logos was the one who pulled out of the chaos order. Remember that great verse in Genesis where the spirit hovering over the face of the deep that is without form and void. And God calls out of the chaos, out of the darkness, the world. Lagos was the force, the principle, P-L-E, the Greeks believed, that organized the entire universe. Now watch, with this verse, we begin to understand that it's not principle P-L-E, it's principle P-A-L. It's not a force, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. Now, stop right there. What's that mean? If there is attributed to Him, the Creator of all things, that makes Him co-equal with God the Father. And that does not make him a created being because he can't make all things and create himself. He is the creator. Let's go on. All things came to being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that, was, that has come into being. Now let's go to the Colossians passage. For by him, all things were created. There it is again. 
both things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, watch this, and for him. So he is to be worshiped. He is to be worshiped because he is co-eternal with God the Father along with the Holy Spirit. The ancient creeds put it like this, homousia. That's a Greek word, and it means, homo means same, usia means essence or substance. Same substance. All right, I want you to get this claim. Now, let's go to the next claim. I want you to see what Jesus claimed about himself. There are a lot of people who say Jesus never claimed to be God. Of course he did. That's what got him killed. And so... This is just a few passages that will help you understand that he, the, his claim about himself. John 8, 24. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In other words, I'm the Savior. I'm your Savior. By the way, the, uh, a few weeks after Easter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a sermon about hell. Maybe there too, I'm not sure. Um, because that's one of the big deals. People don't, would a good God send someone, anyone to hell? So I want to talk about that. I wanna, and, and, and I want to talk about um, um, what hell is um, because it's a very fundamental uh, biblical doctrine. And so um, I'm going to leave you with that question. You got to come back for the answer. This is what it says. I, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Go to the next scripture. This is John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born. Now, Abraham was born 1,200 years before Christ. Before Abraham was born, I am. And I am, of course, is the biblical name for who? God the Father, that's right. Because in the, in, the, in the desert, remember, Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. That's his name. Now this, there was no mistaking to the Jews back at this time exactly what he was claiming because the next verse is, they picked up rocks to stone him for blasphemy. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be God. Let me give you a couple more. In John 14, 6, it says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What is he claiming? Well, people have systems, right? In every, in every religion, there's a system. The way you get to God. And if you're not careful, Christianity will become that for you. And that's not what Christianity is meant to be. The Christian faith is to help us focus on Christ because Christ is the way. There is no system. It's Christ. The truth. In every religion, there is sound doctrine. There is there is. Uh, uh, an intellectual concept that you must grasp. In 
The Christian faith, the truth, is not a concept, it's a person. And I'm the life. The life means I am eternal life. And when you invite Christ into your life, you have eternal life. You're, you'll live for a little while physically, but you have eternal life because Christ is in you. Christ is you. <laughs> Let me see the next verse. The next verse goes like this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Is there another one? Let me show you that. Let me see the next one back here. No, I'll, I'll come to that in just a second. Okay. So come here for a minute. This is, this is now, I want, I, if you've studied world religions as I have for years, you will know that there have been other claims that people who have walked the earth have been attributed as or, or, or praised as deities. If you know anything about uh, um, Hinduism, the god Vishnu, they got, they've got like 900 gods in, in Hinduism, but Vishnu is supposed to have become periodically manifested as a man. By the way, that's called avatar when that happens. It's interestingly enough. There have been, if you, if you lived in ancient Rome, you would have known the claim that Caesar was a god. If you lived in ancient China, you would have known the claim that the emperor was a god. Ancient Japan, they claimed that, emperor, that the emperor was a god and so on and so forth. None of them ever claimed to be the organizer of the entire universe. None, uh, no one has ever made that claim except for Jesus Christ. There have been people, by the way, who've claimed to be God. I don't think they were crazy enough to call themselves the creator of the entire universe and the sovereign Lord over all. Jim Jones, remember Jim Jones? Wacky Jim Jones, Guyana, infamous Jim Jones, who talked to all of his followers into committing suicide. Did you know? I think I've told some of you this before. He wanted to become a Methodist minister and he flunked the psychological examination. <laughs> no surprise there, all right? But by the time they got to Guyana, this is what he said to his followers. If you don't have a God, I will be your God. Because by this time, he was an atheist. If you don't have a savior, I will be your savior. But I think in his craziest moments, Jim Jones never claimed to be the creator of the universe. This is truly a unique claim. Now, this is the importance of this. There are some people who say, well, Jesus was a good man. Well, Jesus was a prophet. I have friends who are Jewish, good friends, and I love them, crazy about them. I enjoy them. Jews believe, many of them, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a rabbi, all right? Yeah, he got killed. They don't believe he was resurrected, but yeah, he, they believe he was crucified. Their own historian said he was crucified. 
Muslims, I have Muslim friends, good friends. They believe he was a prophet. In Islam, Jesus is one of their main prophets. He was born of a virgin, they believe. And, and, and he didn't die, they don't believe he died. But in Shia Islam, he's the one who's coming back at the end of the age. Now, there's a little problem. He wants to convert everybody to Islam, but, but you, know, they, they, you know, they have huge respect. When they say Jesus, they say, peace be upon him. But here's the problem. C.S. Lewis said, you can't call him a good man and a prophet if he claims to be God. You've got three choices if somebody claims to be God. Either they're a liar or they're a lunatic or they really are the Lord. Those are your three choices. Good man isn't one of them. Prophet isn't one of them. Wise teacher isn't one of them. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, and you've got to decide. You've got to decide. Now let me tell you why this is so important. Because as Jesus is Christianity, that Jesus is Christianity, you have to kind of go back in your mind and say, okay, now what does that really mean? In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the, from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so the word becomes flesh. Now, let me ask you this. If God honored history by becoming a part of history, doesn't it stand to reason that he would leave evidences for himself, kind of foreshadowings of who he would really be all throughout history, so that we could actually prove in a historical sense that Jesus was this God. Well, he did. They're called prophecies. You see, in the Hebrew Tanakh, the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures, we call it the Old Testament. There are 300 specific prophecies of Jesus, of who the Messiah would be. Now, I don't mean just kind of general, fits anybody, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of like your, your local astrologer, you know. <laughs> Stars say you're going to have a pretty good week next week. You know, and then something good happens, you go, oh, she was right. You know, that's not just general. No, these are specific. Let me give you an example. It was predicted, it was prophesied that Jesus would be crucified, pierced through for our iniquities. Now you say, what's the big deal about that? Well, the prediction came 700 years before the invention of crucifixion. There was another prediction that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. This one cracks me up. You know, of course, the story. These Jewish authorities who knew the scripture, 
They knew the prophecy. And when they were talking to Judas, all they had to do was offer him 31 pieces of silver. It would have validated the whole thing. Invalidated the whole thing. They didn't. Offered him 30 pieces of silver. Now I got to ask you this. How could that have happened? Because the sovereignty of God is something that you cannot go outside of, even when you try. And so, let me, let me tell you how important this is. 300 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Now let me tell you the chances of this. A statistician once worked this out. Just with eight, what are the chances that any particular individual would fulfill even eight of these very specific prophecies where he was to be born, all these kinds of things? What are the chances? And this is what he came up to. The chances are one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 17 zeros. Now let me give you a visual of that because that's really hard to imagine. Let's say, you know those Girl Scout cookies, the Thin Mints? Okay. Let's say you have, you know, 10 to the 17th power of them. How many would that be? You could probably, I used to do this with quarters, so let me do a little uh, upgrade here. You would, you would fill the entire state of Texas three feet deep with Thin Mints. Now, before you do that, let me, let me challenge you something. Take one of them, just one out of the 10 to the second. Lick all the chocolate off, okay? Till it gets down to the wafer, you know, let it dry out so it's not all gross and saggy, all right? And let's say you just implant, embed that wafer just at random. Somebody embeds that somewhere in the midst of all those thin mints. And then you get in your car and you drive all over those wafers. Now, they won't break because this is my story and you can make up anything you want to in a story. <laughs> Let's say that the car doesn't crush them. It just drives over them and you drive all over the state of Texas. It would take you weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks to drive all over the state, just at random. You're just driving. And then finally you get tired of driving, you stop the car and you get out and start walking. Anywhere you want to go. Anywhere in the whole state of Texas. And then you stop. And you blindfold yourself. And then you walk some more. And finally, when you feel like it, you stop and you reach down in the middle of all of those cookies at your feet and you grab one. The chance that you're going to come up with that chocolateless thin mint is one to the 17th power. That's if Jesus just fulfilled eight of the prophecies. He, filled, he fulfilled 300. So this is a pretty remarkable thing. Let me go to the next thing we need to learn. And then, and, then, and then we'll get where we need to go. 
The next thing we need to learn is not only was there great testimony, historical testimony of who Jesus was, but when I say Jesus is Christianity and our relationship with him is Christianity, I want you to understand what I'm saying in comparison to all the religions of the world. John Lennox, one of my favorite guys, I, I love this guy, kind of a jolly, he's an English guy, he's brilliant. He's the mathematician I told you about last week. He does a lot of debating of, you know, different skeptics and atheists and so on and so forth at like schools like Harvard and Oxford and all these, just brilliant guy. And he was at Harvard not too long ago and, and um, somebody brought this question up about um, all the religions of the world and how Christianity was indifferent. And he said, well, every religion is basically a system, all right? Now in any system, and let's take the school system, let's take Harvard. In any system, there are three points, three points of engagement. First, admission. I, I understand that to get into Harvard, you have to go through an admission process in order to become a part of the system. Second, there is what's analogous to the way, you know, you have to maintain a certain level of growth, be tested periodically in order to stay in the system in good standing. And if you don't grow, if you, if you kind of get out of kilter and just go do your own thing, you won't be in the system anymore. And the third part is you gotta, you gotta pass a final examination. It's judgment day, all right? You've gotta know enough to graduate from that system. He said, each of those parts depend on one word, merit. Do you merit entrance? Do you merit staying included? Do you merit graduation? He said in Christianity, it's exactly the opposite. There's not one bit of merit we have to have in order to be accepted. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we're accepted because we realize we don't have the merit. And what if we sin when we're in it? Still loved. And what about the final examination? Already been passed for us. Jesus is the one that went to the judgment for us. He stopped and he said, you know, I've been married to my wife a lot of years. I love my wife. He said, let me, let me just ask you something. What do you think would have happened if when we met and I kind of got drawn to her, I would have said, you know, I, I kind of want to marry you, but well, let me just ask you to do something. Take this cookbook. 
Now, back then, he's about as old as I am. This, this wouldn't have been quite as offensive as it is now, but, you know, but don't pick up stones. Let me get through the story. What if I'd have said, take this cookbook, and I want you to start memorizing the menus, the recipes, and I want you to practice. And I'll come all the time just see how you're doing. See how, see how it tastes, you know? And, and, and maybe, what, 30, 40 years after you've learned to cook and it all tastes good, then I'll marry you. <laughs> he said, how would that have worked out? He said, first of all, I doubt that the marriage ever would have taken place. Second of all, if it had, what kind of marriage would it have been? He said, let me tell you why we've got such a terrific marriage. Because we accepted each other at the beginning. And we've lived our whole lives knowing that we were loved and being grateful for that love. That is the gospel. You're already loved. And there's not a thing you can do about it. There's not a thing you can do to get unloved. There's not a thing you can do to disqualify yourself. God loved you. Love wasn't even your idea. I know some of you decided one day, I'm going to love God. And you thought that was the beginning of the love relationship. That wasn't the beginning of the love relationship. It says in 1 John chapter 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. He loved you when you were in your mother's womb and he knit you together. He loved you then. He's loved you all your life. His mind is already made up about you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. The question is, will you accept that love? Will you accept that gift? Will you accept the fact that you can never earn or deserve that love? See, this is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't have to stop sinning in order to receive his gift. He gave you that gift. No matter what, your shape, what shape your life was in, he already had it for you. And he already has it for you. Everything we have in the way of salvation is a gift from God. It's just to be received. Everything we have in the way of holiness that he wants us to grow into comes from him, not from us. I mean, we can try, if you want to just burden yourself, whip yourself to try harder and harder. Well, I guess you can, but pfft, not necessary, terribly ineffective, really painful. You can beat up yourself all day long. That's not what God wants. Maybe, maybe what you want, but that's a sick religion. So what's the difference? One day, Harry Ironside was out 
on the street preaching. And Harry Ironside, you've you got to know the history on this guy. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, he was offered a full-time faculty position at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was awarded several honorary doctors. Just a brilliant man, brilliant theologian as well, but a great preacher. And he loved to preach on the street. He was out in Los Angeles. He was street preaching one time. And somebody came up to him and asked the question sometimes people ask us. He was preaching and the guy kind of interrupted and he said, Preacher, out of the many, many religions of the world, and I got to tell you, if you look this up, there are over 4,200 identified named different religions in the world. 4,200. Now how, this is a legitimate question that this man's asking. Out of the many, many religions of the world, what makes you think yours is right? Because they all think theirs is right. That's a legitimate question, isn't it? So what's the answer? Well, Harry Ironside turned to him and he said, brother, that's just a great question. I'll answer it, but first let me correct the question. There aren't many, many religions in the world. The guy said, what do you mean? I can name a dozen just standing here. Ironside said, no, there's only two. One says, You've got to save yourself. And the other says, you need a savior. It's true. Every religion in the world is based on merit, on earning. I want us to have relationships with people with other religions. And I want us to love them no matter whether they see things our way ever or not. And I want us to know about them. I want us to know the difference. Matter of fact, in the bookstore, um, there's, um, and I think they're almost sold out of this, but there's, there's, this, there's this brochure on Christianity and cults and different religions, kind of where they stand on Jesus and, 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 and where they, how they see getting saved and so on and so forth. So, so that's all good. But somebody once said, if you want to really understand, don't buy a book, buy a ticket. If you want to really understand what someone else believes, you got to ask them. You got to get in a conversation, all right? And as you're in that conversation, I want you to remember something about our identity. Our identity is never condemnation. Our identity Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. We have, we, have, we have two very specific commands of God. One is the great commandment. It says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. This is the big one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And Luke adds strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now watch what's tied into it, what's integrated into it, and you can't do it unless you do the second part. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, 
How can you love God who you've not seen when you can't love your neighbor who you have seen? So it's impossible to love God and hate your neighbor, period. And so that's why it says, you shall love the neighbor as, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all the prophets. This is the big summary. So let me just ask you this. Who's disqualified from your love? Nobody. If God so loved the world, then we need to so love the world just like they are. If God loved them just like they are, we need to love them just like they are. I love my friends of different faiths. I have, Hebrew, I have, I have Hindu friends, I have Jewish friends, I have Muslim friends, I have, I have, I have Buddhist friends. And they don't water down my faith one bit. As a matter of fact, I am so grateful for the grace of God when I'm around them, because I'm thinking, I'm so glad I don't have to earn anything. I mean, they're trying so hard, you know? They're trying to earn their rank in paradise and all the kind. Thank God, I don't have to go there. I'd flunk, I don't, I, I just, I'd have to, in the judgment, I'd have to say, look over there. I know myself. I don't deserve it. Here's the key. The key is understanding that we all stand in need of a Savior. None of us can earn or deserve salvation, heaven. If there is a God who is holy, he can't let us in without payment from someone besides us. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. I was on the treadmill yesterday morning, and, or Saturday morning, and I, and I was watching, we got a little TV in our, in our workout room, and, and I was watching Les Miserables. It's just one of my favorite, every, I, I love every movie. Um, and I love the book. And, and, and this happened to be the musical that was made a few years ago. And it's so compelling. And, and for those of you who have not read it, um, the, it's a story about this young man, Jean Valjean, who is imprisoned for stealing bread in order to feed a hungry child. He serves 19 years in that prison for stealing bread in order to, 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 to feed that child. And, and, and finally he gets paroled. And he skips parole. He skips out on parole. And in that running away, he runs into a priest who introduces him to a God who would save him. He, he lives his whole life different from then on. He becomes productive, he becomes compassionate, he becomes successful, and everything is going well. But he hears of this one man who has been mistaken for him. The police have been chasing him all his life, and now they think they have identified someone who is him. 
And so he has this moral challenge. Do I turn myself in to save this man? There have been so many now that have become dependent on me. If I turn myself in, what will happen to them? And he begins to ask this question. This question that we have answered in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And the question is, who am I? This is what the Bible says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so he's in this chapel, and he begins to sing this song. If I speak, they are condemned. But if I stay silent, I am damned. Who am I? Can I condemn this man to slavery? Pretend I do not feel his agony. This innocent, he's looking at the cross, this innocent who bears my face, who goes to judgment in my place. Who am I? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Then he pulls himself up to full strength and he sings out his number that he had as a prisoner. Two, four, six, oh, one. We are all prisoners. We are only freed by the sacrifice of another. And we are only freed to sacrifice for another. Because the answer to who am I? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this reminder of how we are different, not because we belong to a religion, but because we belong to you, not because we love our practices of goodness, but because we love you who alone are good. Not because we can go through all of our theological dogma, all of our, our, our moral dictates, but because you draw us close to you every day and you focus us on you and what you've done for us. Take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not go shallow or analytical or theological. 
and apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold or categorical or judgmental and apply them to our feet that we might be and do the word of God and not hear it only. Amen.